0: We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of
1: God. Left (laughs) Jab Productions present Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide.
2: And And now your host, Dave Zirin. The schmatter kid.
3: Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zirin. Join this week. By the man who is the anti-Derek Jeter, because he never shows up, but when he does, it's good. Good good. things actually happen. Tim Horsey. Tim, how you doing, sir? Tim Horsey,
4: back in the saddle, man. Back
3: in the saddle. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I have no problem with hating on Derek Jeter for a very simple reason. They are acting like the man died, and when you market something to such a chintzy, over-the-top degree... Don't be surprised when there's a backlash. We don't know that he's well, not, not going to die at the
4: end of this. He might. I know
3: it's unbelievable, but yeah, he's party to it. My God, they're yeah. wearing sashes with his number on it. For goodness' sake, special yeah. cleats, yeah. all that you can buy at a store for forty nine ninety yeah. five. Joined us always by the coach, coming not How yeah, you doing, Coach?
1: Oh no, man, just because you couldn't play, but look, hey, oh. what's the over under? Oh. I got, I got to ask you this one, Dave. What is the over under on Phil Simms? Saying the Redskins football name, racist friend mm. Redskins football game tonight. I said it at six.
3: Ooh, yeah, we are recording the show on a Thursday, and tonight is Washington against the New York Giants. All right, how about this? What will be said more—the Washington football team name or references to the South Park episode that basically I, took? I
1: heard, I haven't seen it. Right? Uh, nice. I almost said took.
3: I almost said. Took a switch to Dan Snyder, but in the post-Adrian Probably Peterson world, that. I don't really want to <laughs> no. say that anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just like a colloquial phrase, Corporal though. punishment hit him? Oh, <sighs> I, I can't even I say that anymore. Mm-hmm. And me, Mark Barrett. How are you doing, me, Mark? I'm fantastic. We got a hell of a show this week. We got a newsmaking show this week, or maybe a newsmaking show. We will find out. Uh, we are going to speak to Demoris Smith, the executive director of the NFL Players Association, about everything that's been happening in the scandal plague national football league and we'll see what Demoris has to say i believe this is only the second interview that he's done wow. since everything broke very happy to have on proverbial good on get, the show. yeah well as always <laughs> if we can get him on the line always that caveat uh, yes. when you're flying by the seat of your tuchus <laughs> um and Coach has some things to say too. I have no idea what it's about, but I've been accused by these guys in the past of hogging the microphone, no. of taking up too much of the no. oxygen, never, Not Not the the star. You can never, You handedly destroying that. You're the, the star. trees of the earth because of my excessive use of CO two. But what I am going to try to do, or that be the ozone layer? Uh, science is hard. It's fine. Okay, it's yeah, fine. whatever. Don't you say. worry your pretty little head about. Yeah, but the bigger thing, thank <laughs> you, is we'll find out what Coach has to say, and we're going to hear it right after
2: this. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Such an insane sports month this September
3: has been. There are a million ways we can go. There are a trillion angles we could take. But before I go about it, what I really wanted to do was actually cede the mic to Coach, who's been uh, processing a lot of these issues he took out the old Victrola typewriter. <laughs> Where's Victrola? Uh, I, yeah, I won't worry my pretty little head over it. I think it's a record player. Who cares? The point is, the point. He took out the old Hewlett Packard, typed up some ideas. Coach, floor is yours, sir. Dave,
1: I, I, I love this show. Uh, you, you, my guy, Mark, and everybody, um, because you make us think. And and you mentioned last week uh, we were in L.A. about how um, these things that are going are painted with a black face, and it really moved me. And it got me to writing, which is what the purpose of the show is, stimulating thought. And I came up with this, and I'm just going to let it wing and and, uh, see what you think. You know, here is a truth within the black community, especially among the black community that is north of 40 years old. When we hear of mass shootings or attacks such as Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut or the Boston Marathon or the Navy Yard shooting here in D.C. last year, we immediately have that sinking feeling of our heart dropping to our stomach. We then drop to our knees in prayer for the families involved. We want the par- perpetrators caught immediately. And then we hope that the shooter or perpetrator is not a black person. You see, we know that if the perpetrator is black, then once again, it is open season on black people, especially the black man. Every racist fear and stereotype and negative connotation of the black man is heightened. In a large section of white America, sighs and nods with a satisfactory. See, I'm not a racist. I told you about those people. You see, this country is very content and quick to paint with a black face all its, all its social and moral ills. This was never more evident than in 1988 when the Republican Party and presidential nominee George H.W. Bush trotted out the menacing mugshot of Willie Horton, the black convicted felon who, while on a furlough release program from prison, committed assault, armed robbery, and rape. It brought front and center folks' racial fears and prejudice and ignorance, Black men were portrayed as deviant, lawless, immoral, violent, oversex predators. Ever since the black man ever since the black man has fought hard to restore his image, his standing within the country as a hardworking, dedicated, loving, and family man in support of this country. This culminated with the elegance and dignity and intelligence of one Barack Obama becoming president of the United States of America on july twentieth, two thousand nine. But to fight for our image, good standing, and equal treatment as a man is never over. With every transgression the black man encounters, he becomes the face of the societal ill, especially if he is a sports icon adored by millions for his athletic gifts and talents. And while these ills cross all demographics, and the deplorable acts should, be, should go punished, the black athlete's transgression trumps his athletic accomplishments, and he's forever the face of the problem. Here's a list. My list, I just gave thought to. This list is not official or all-encompassing, but it's my list, a list that I cringed and felt the sting and pain when they occurred. A list that gave, me, me, that gave many the opportunity to align the black man closer to w- Willie Horton than Barack Obama. Among the names I came up with include Adrian Peterson, child abuse, Ray Rice, domestic violence caught on tape, Michael Vick, cruelty to animals, Tiger Woods, Philanderer and sexual addiction. Ron Artest, the malice at the palace, fan violence. The trail spree roll, player chokes his coach, violence against white authority. Mike Tyson, biting off Evander Holyfield's ear, a, barba- a barbaric display of out-of-control, animalistic violence. Sean Kemp, reportedly fathered 15 children with many different women during his pro career, exhibiting sexual irresponsibility, morality, and the absence of the black father in the home. Ray Carruth, schemed to murder his pregnant girlfriend, becoming the poster uh, for violence and deviant behavior and black irresponsibility, black family irresponsibility. Kermit Washington, a friend of of this program, and a a great man, but is the punch that shattered Rudy Tom of face, the hulking black man prone to violence against white men. OJ, how with money you can literally get away with murder which is very interesting as black wealth in this country is fleeting. And furthermore, lynching was legal and on the books in this country as late as 1965 when O.J. was entering college. Magic Johnson retired from basketball after he was informed he had HIV in 1991. He said he contracted disease from a life of sexual promiscuity in the NBA. Now, to be complete, the list does include some white sports figures that come to mind that face that are the face of social ills. Mike Rice at Rutgers, his verbal and physical abuse of athletes in power as head coach. Pete Rose gambling on baseball as a manager. Tim Donaghy, point shaving and gambling as an NBA referee. Mark McGuire, the player most point to as the face of steroid use. But there is a difference. As the black athletes listed only perpetuate the stereotype of Willie Horton, as the nature of their violent and sexual acts continue to betray us, as many, fight, as many white folk only want to see us as morally absent, impulsive, violent, deviant, lusting sexual predators, particularly in pursuit of white women. Each incident wounds deeply because, while the majority of black men in this country are, are God-fearing, devoted family men, walking tall, Obama-like, each stumble allows the hate-filled fear-mongers such as the Hannity's and Limbaugh's and Palin's Licensed to spew their racist and separatist venom to, the on, to their unknowing but very large audiences. And this is why I tell all, black men, young and old, to stay awake. Don't fall asleep at the wheel of sports cheering for the home, home team or al- alma mater you. Stay on guard. The struggle's not over.
3: Mm. All right, Coach. That, that was very powerful. Um, but uh, thank you for sharing that. Seriously. But of course, um, a couple of observations. Oh, please, observations. please. You, it's, How it's, much time my do we opinion. have for this segment? Three, min- a, Three minutes. A couple observations, and then mm-hmm. we might even have to go into the next one. Um, the first observation, thank you, is the first thing. The second thing is, um, I don't, I, I think the main point that you're trying to make, which is the point that we've talked about before on this show, is that when you're African American, when you're a person of color, when you're a black person in this country... Uh, you bear a collective responsibility for what happens because of racism. Yep. So when Mike Rice curses at the kids, that's a Mike Rice problem. That's a Mike Rice scandal. That's a Mike Rice shaming that takes place. Yep. But when you have a situation with a black face in the front, all of a sudden, You know, Adrian Peterson happens and then, you know, microphones and black people's faces all over the place, including the ridiculous, ridiculous pop sociological argument like, gee, do you are kids beaten in the black community because of slavery? Is this a legacy of slavery, which is like this faux liberal veneer to say we understand why these beatings take place? And by the way, Wendell Pierce, who played bunk on the wire, took Bill Maher to the woodshed Mm -hmm. for daring to suggest such a thing, which is insanely racist. And Mm -hmm. the second thing about like when you so, so there's there's the, that burden of mass representation mm-hmm. that's imposed mm-hmm. upon the black community. Thank you. Um and that that's deeply problematic and that's frankly what racism is 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 the, is the burden of, of having to shoulder the mass representation for the ill but never for the good. Thank you. You know there's no like hey look at that little black kid wow looks just like he's going to be president. You know you don't get that. Mm-hmm. So you get the ill representation and not the good representation um that's how stereotypes work that's why they're so destructive that's why people stand up to them with such vehemence because we know how those ideas can be connected to real policy real marginalization real poverty and real pain the second thing I would say and just because you didn't say this explicitly although you did say it but it needs to be said is that when we make black faces the face of domestic violence and child abuse it makes us collectively stupider as a country you, because of racism because and i've met all kinds of people say like no isn't the goal to be colorblind and just say adrian peterson just it just happens to be black and he's a child abuser jonathan dwyer just happens to be black and he abuses it's like but no because racism doesn't allow that objectively doesn't allow that and so what it does instead is it sends a very frontal message that says these are black problems when that's just statistically profoundly untrue. There you go. In other words, it makes us profoundly stupider about these issues. And uh, my son just awed at me for saying the word stupid. But there's much more to say about this. I'd like to talk about whether we think these issues can actually lead to an erosion of popularity in the National Football League. Let's talk about that um, right back when we get back from the break. And also, I want to talk about, should we talk... Our head injury is a way to understand issues of domestic violence in the NFL. We'll be back after this. One, two,
2: three. Don't move. Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin.
3: Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach, Kevin McNutt, <laughs> me, Mark Barry, Tim Horsey in the saddle. I finally just got that joke a half yeah. hour into the show. I'm, hey, I'm he, pretty he quick, been working huh?
4: he on that for weeks there. I'm sure he had it. I, I, it's so
3: <laughs> sad, though. I was like, Tim Horsey in the saddle. I was like, huh? <laughs> what? The I, horse
4: is in the saddle now.
3: Yeah, I, I know nothing. Look, uh, Coach, very impassioned speech um, just before the break. Mark, I just before we talk about other issues like – Will the NFL ever die in this country? Is that mm-hmm. what we're looking at? Um, are we looking at um, a head injury crisis here as well when we talk about domestic violence? Just any thoughts you have about what Coach said?
4: Anything you want to share? Yeah, I've got a couple things mm-hmm. uh, uh, with with Coach. i I've, your 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 statement last week of painting the uh, the problem with the blackface stuck in my head as well. And I wondered why, uh, mm-hmm. why it's being uh, painted with a black face. I think that there's a concerted effort to do that. I think if you look at the response that both the Minnesota Vikings, the Baltimore Ravens, and the NFL have had about getting it right, about things like this, about like making a mistake in this situation. It's not owning their their culpability for the violence itself, but not having deal- dealt with those people in the, in the, in the right way. So mm-hmm. they're trying to re- reacquire this moral high ground, the— moral arbiter of the, of, of the ills that these people that Adrian Peterson mm-hmm. the, the black people honestly it's, it's that, that they have done so therefore they're going to be the white knights if they will in this situation mm-hmm. and I think it's disgusting and
3: this is what makes NFL players so angry about this because it is a minority of players who get in this kind of trouble there you go. but those Thanks. are the stories that get right. front loaded and but brought to the front right. and one of the questions that I tried to deal with this week is how can we understand, though, why it is that so many of the arrests that happen in the NFL are about domestic violence, though, because that's something that we still have to reckon with. Because while it's true that the rates of domestic violence among National Football League players is lower than in the general population, although all those statistics should be up for high scrutiny because so many cases are unreported, it's also a fact, though, that if you look at all arrests in the NFL, all arrests the number 1 is for domestic violence and it's not mm. even close it's by a factor of 4 mm. it's like 55% are domestic violence and number 2 is dui which is 13% mm-hmm. i mean that's pretty crazy mm-hmm. yeah. i mean you think about all the ways a person could get in trouble in this world you know mm-hmm. you're smoking some weed you know i i was once arrested for having an open canister of um uh, open can of beer on the street and they they wanted to make an example of me in new york there are a million ways you can get pinched uh traffic stop all kinds of things For NFL, it's domestic violence Mm -hmm. by a massive factor. Mm -hmm. And so trying to understand why that is, I tried to look a little at the issue of head injuries. Mm -hmm. Now this is a very sensitive subject Mm -hmm. because domestic violence is an epidemic problem in this country and in this world. And in the insanely overwhelming majority of cases, as in 99%, head injuries have nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people understandably ask the question, wait a minute, are you making excuses? Are you saying that players can't help themselves because of head injuries when really it's just about what domestic violence is more often about, which is one person exercising their physical and mental power over another? 85% male, 15% female, according to the statistics Mm. available. Although once again, statistics on this issue, look at it with a side eye. So it raises this question though about like, okay, I don't want to make excuses for, for, for why this is happening. And I don't want to make it sound like the players don't have their own agency or ability to choose to not be an abuser. Because that's part of what makes people so sensitive. Like, oh, you're saying they can't help it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also feel like it would be, frankly, irresponsible to ignore a lot of the data we do have about head injuries and how it affects players, particularly after retirement. And if we're not looking at this data, one of the things that it could hurt is it prevents the ability to actually educate the partners of NFL players if they're seeing warning signs for things like chronic traumatic encephalopathy or other brain injuries and can get help before abuse takes place. Mm -hmm. And so I interviewed these three women who are all uh, either married or used to be married to NFL players, and and they all are domestic violence survivors and it was crazy to me how similar the stories were about what happened they all spoke about uh like headaches migraines frustrations light sensitivity uh the inability to remember things easily frustrated all of these things that people do associate with early onset dementia early onset alzheimers and also frontal lobe injuries which this is after
1: the career's were over
3: yeah these all okay. three it was after the career's ended great and A case just dropped this week, you might have seen it, where the widow of a former San Diego charger named Paul Oliver is suing the NFL because her husband, um, first he became abusive after retirement, migraines were a part of it, light sensitivity was a part of it, Um, frustration was a part of it, and then he took his own life in front of her and her kids. Mm -hmm. And this was someone who she knew dating back when they were teenagers, and she was just like, it's a different person. This was a different person with the CTE and they did find out he had CTE in the post-death autopsy. And so it's like, I don't know how we can ignore this. And I also feel like uh, domestic violence organizations for very good reasons are not comfortable with this discussion. And I do understand why. But the NFL also doesn't want us to have this discussion, which to me is all the more reason why we should have it. Because (laughs) if, if brain injuries are connected to the game... And if brain injuries are connected with behavior that everybody is collectively revolving against right now, then don't we have to
4: talk about it? Mm-hmm. What do you think, Mark? Do you think this is, this is fair game for discussion? or what, what? I think that it's fair, th- a fair game if only because the NFL refuses to make any correlation. Uh, for, mm. if one refuses to, to talk mm-hmm. about head injuries when it comes to these sorts of things. But if, if we're making connective tissue between the two largest scandals going on with the NFL yeah. right now, if this is connected, then it's game over. If if we know that the players out there that we're out there cheering for are getting injuries that are going to turn them into abusers, and all this is conjecture at this point, if that is something that is proven to be a fact, then how can anyone root for this sport?
1: What about you? Mm -hmm. I mean... The NFL almost has to dodge this question because they're already dealing with kids don't want to play Pop Warner anymore because of yeah down twelve percent or all no, all down nine point five percent Pop okay. Warner enrollment. Yeah. And so and then to say on top of that if you if you survive or you have a couple of cushions you're prone to do domestic violence oh my goodness that you, you people are gonna you know are gonna run in terms of. Uh, 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 keeping the pipeline of of talent coming, so I, I know why they want to run for it. But they, you have to connect the dots there's no way you can't.
3: Yeah, it's almost like choosing ignorance, like choosing to not know how the sausages are made. And but the, but you know, but that's the thing when people talk about will people stop watching the sport? I mean, Mark, you're the one of the biggest fans I know, and you yep. just use the phrase "game over." Like to me, you mm. look at all the ways Americans are willing to suspend knowledge for pleasure. Mm-hmm. I mean, my goodness! You still see people in. We live in D.C. Be they, they now have laws against people, you know, smoking inside federal buildings. You see people smoking like chimneys, like cigarettes going through cigarettes like they're M and Ms all over the city. It's like our knowledge about cigarettes does not impede people smoking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like our knowledge about all kinds of things. And the the, the old cliche is like, do people really want to know how the sausages are made? Mm-hmm. And people choose to not know how the sausages are made, so they could. Eat the damn sausage. Why? Because the shit tastes good. And sometimes life (laughs) is really hard. And you want something that tastes good. You want to feel that nicotine rush. You've decided that life is so difficult that you will take that rush because it offers you a momentary respite from a difficult
1: existence.
3: Now, how does that affect the NFL? I don't know. Coach, Well, and I want to ask you guys a
1: question because I don't think in terms of the black labor force, this is not going to deter that train at all, mm. because the black athlete is going to have fewer options, few, uh, few less exposure to other opportunities, and they're going to say, if I can get out of here, if I can, like Alan Iverson, if I can get sewage from coming in my mother's living room, I'm going to take this, 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 this track.
3: I hear what you're saying there and sports have always it's not just about the black community sports as long as there has been organized sports has, has relied on poverty as being like Check. the great motivator Check. To get I mean Joe DiMaggio once said anybody who's never had hunger in their belly will never have the hunger to be a pro athlete and, you know and that was Use. poor Italian immigrants so that's the pipeline has always existed however here's a change though that could happen and um, I think Marx definitely heard me make this argument before but you look at Players like Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, Colin Kaepernick—what do they all have in common? They—they they all come from stable, two-parent homes. That would make Colin Cowherd very happy. They also <laughs> excelled at multiple sports. Put RG3 in there too. Yeah. Excelled at multiple sports. And so, in the will the Russell Wilsons of the future play quarterback or will they play baseball? You know, well that's the question. Well, Colin Kaepernick who once dropped 34 points in a state championship basketball game and could throw the ball 95 miles an hour, will he play football? See, that's the real difference because, yes, poverty is a, is a big deal in terms of who becomes pro athletes, but there are, also, there are middle-class families who play football and there are working-class families who watch football. The question is, will the future NFL be a game where it's all poor people on the field? And to subsidize the fact that they lost audience share, because of the scandals, it becomes even more cost prohibitive than it currently is. Mm-hmm.
1: What we'll say you,
3: Mark? In other words, everything is pay-per-view. I'm not just right. talking about tickets right. to I games. Yeah. I okay. mean, everything is pay-per-view. In other words, it becomes boxing, <clears throat> so, which so is incredibly lucrative, but no longer mainstream.
1: We're up, to, we're up against a break. But so are you guys saying, Mark, especially I want to address yeah. you, Mark, that football is going to drop to behind baseball and behind, behind basketball? I mean, I, I, I don't know where it's going to fall in terms of
4: that. But in terms of scandals, in terms of viewability, if sponsors and if money isn't there behind it, you're not going to have that market share. You won't have that vast amount of payday. It's going to cut into what football is. And I, I agree with Dave that boxing is definitely something that it could be in the future. Yeah. This is, remember, boxing didn't die. Boxing wilted. Yes. That's the issue. Hey, this wow. is
3: Edge of Sports Radio. Wow. Uh I'm Dave Zirin. We have 30 seconds and then you know what we're going to do. We're going to come back and hopefully we're going to try to get uh D Smith on the line. That's mm-hmm. a huge deal mm-hmm. because we want to have got some questions for D. Uh terrific friend of the show. Yes. Um and mm-hmm. but you know, I'll be honest with you. I'll be some of these questions, I mean, D's the nature of his mm-hmm. job means he's can't answer yes or no on this stuff because mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. stuff is mm-hmm. you know, because when he talks, it's going to make news.
1: Right. So I mean, 10 years 20 years this is going to change? I mean, it was just generational. Like that means 20, 30 years
3: yeah. we're going to be looking okay. at a different NFL. Wow. Uh, I'm Dave Ziron well, Hey, we'll be back right after this.
2: Dave Zyron will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. We are back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined
3: by the coach, Kevin McNutt, me and Mark Barry. We are also joined by the executive director of the NFL Players Association, busy man. So glad he's given us just a little bit of his time. His name is Demora Smith. D, how you doing, sir? Dave,
5: how are you, my friend?
3: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, I, I got some, some quick hit questions for you. I don't want to shock you, but the NFL's been in the news a lot the last couple weeks. Can you understand... Why many people, and I'll say myself included, think in the name of personal responsibility that the NFL needs a new commissioner at this
5: point? Well, that's not my—that's um, not my job. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you can imagine, um, I, I'm, I'm able to fill a day uh, with the number of things that I have to do, and making uh, or expressing opinions about other people's job—I I never concern myself with it. Um, what I do. Uh, believe is important is one this is a union that prides itself on being um a labor union just like uh just like the AFL-CIO just like the Teamsters uh just like the the communication workers who who by the way you know should should rightfully congratulate themselves on a um on a a new deal um, in in the airline industry. Mm -hmm. But but that said, um, our job is to serve our members and to make decisions that are in their best interest. And that's what we're going to do. And and I don't think that um, it is ever helpful to overly personalize this process. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody hired me nearly six years ago to, to take a a a position on Roger Goodell, and when I look at my duties as the executive director, um, there isn't one of them that says, um, you know, to to react personally about anything. So what our job is is to do is to take a look at um, why we are here. I, I understand the outrage of our fans. I certainly understand the dissatisfaction that's been expressed by our sponsors over how these issues have been handled. Um, and it's our intention to make sure that things like this are never um, mishandled uh, again.
3: We're talking with DeMora Smith, executive director for the NFL Players Association. Does the union have a position about how the NFL should approach the issue of domestic violence?
5: Uh, You're not going to like my answer. The answer is yes, and am I going to tell you no? (laughs) Look, I I think that any system— between management and labor that is collectively bargained is not only good for the workers, uh, and in our case, the players, but I also think it's good for management. And here's a shocker. I actually believe it's good for everyone who are collateral stakeholders in that business. Um, To me, if I were a major sponsor of the National Football League, I would want to know that there was a collectively bargained process that would um, instill a sense of due process, fairness, transparency, that issues like this have been thought out in advance, and we don't find ourselves in a world where um, we are experiencing um, what I would call reactive um, um, addressing of critical issues instead of thinking about these things proactively, where vision, um, um, inspiration, um, and, uh, discipline, and and deliberate thought are always those things that, that tend to provide more stability uh, in any process rather than just simply reacting to what happens from, from day to day. So the union has a um, position on it. Um, we have made a decision that when it comes to um, looking at the issue of not only domestic violence but violence in the in the workplace, violence in the home, that we want and will consult a, a group of people who we believe will um, provide us with the best um, practices, and we will invite the National Football League, and, and I'm I'm happy to say that they have agreed to be a part of that process, and we will. Um, come up with the best decisions, the best practices, in a collectively bargained way.
3: Being the executive director of a union means, you, of course, that you have to look out for the greater good and not personalize these cases, not unlike a defense attorney. Are there ever discussions inside the NFLPA about these high-profile cases, and should should they be offered a defense by the union, or is it always like, we have a, we have a duty? to stand with players no matter what position they're in.
5: There's never a discussion about whether we will defend the rights of our players ever. And um I'm proud of that because I think that it reflects an understanding by our senior player leadership. And 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 I'm proud of our senior player leadership when um the only question they have is is what's our next step. So uh we we um have the pleasure of working with a group of highly passionate uh people, but um look, you and I both know and 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 every um, first year law school student hopefully knows that that our criminal justice system and the protections uh that are instilled in it have all been predicated. Uh, upon situations where we're looking, about, uh, looking at the, the rights of someone who has been accused of doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. If, it's, if it's Gideon versus Wainwright, and we're talking about the right to legal representation, that case starts with a multiple arrestee in the criminal justice system. If you look at Brady versus Maryland and the rights or, or the obligations of prosecutors to disclose exculpatory information Um, Those cases began with someone who was accused of wrongdoing, and we went through that process to ensure nonetheless that despite being accused, we're going to require fairness and due process under the Constitution. So Hmm. no, we never take a a look that there is a class or a group or an individual who doesn't deserve due process.
3: It sounds a little bit, D, like you're also saying that you, you stand with the idea of not having players suspended if they're accused of a crime like domestic violence and deprived of making a living, but that it should play out through the courts first?
5: Well, um, I, what I'm saying is that no one should be punished based on um, um, a low uh, threshold of um of 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 something occurring Mm. and and look um personally um, i've been in that situation where i've been handcuffed and and put on the back of a squad car because i happen to be driving a car early in the morning that the police found suspicious and and that is something that i will never forget um and i was a federal prosecutor at the time So, no, I I don't believe that punishment um, should be triggered by something that could be as random and as um, invasive um, um, uh, of the situation that I went through. Mm. So, um, to me, I think the trigger here is whether it constitutes punishment. If a player makes a decision or a person in in corporate America uh, who finds himself in an unfortunate decision, corporations every day uh, make decisions to put people on leave with pay um, while the process plays out. Um, that's not discipline. That's providing the person an opportunity with pay to, to work their situation out without the stigma of being demoted or deactivated or um, or, or punished. Um, in advance,
3: when things transpire like they have over the last month, is it the sort of thing where it's inc- insanely exhausting because of the level of scrutiny and pressure, or is it the sort of thing where it's exhilarating?
5: For me, what makes my job extremely easy are the the players that I have the privilege of serving and the staff. Who um, works tirelessly to protect their rights? Um, you know, the only thing that's grueling for me is uh, this will be the fourth team meeting uh, in a week, uh, the fourth night that I've been in a separate city, and I'm looking forward to getting home back to back to D.C. at some point. Um, that that tends to take a toll on a on a body, but as far as the the issues, um, you know, Dave, it's not that exhausting to me. I, I'm I'm abs- actually happy. When we all get to have teaching moments, because you know that uh, there are times when you can talk about issues in a vacuum, or when you can raise very complex um, um, ideas in 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 a in a space and in a time where people are not in a position to hear it or understand it or appreciate it.
3: I we're living in a post Donald Sterling world. Do you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm not naming any owners by name, but obviously there's been owners who have been in the news with regards to Ray Rice. Gee, I'm really narrowing it down. Do you think we we should live in a sports world where owners can be asked slash told to sell their teams if they're not acting in the best interests of the league?
5: Well, let me answer it this way. We make decisions— um, every day in this paradigm of football, um, that 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 not only do you have to be obviously um, physically and mentally able to play this game, but since time immemorial, people have made decisions about um, what to do in in circumstances where you are physically and mentally able to play, but people. Come to conclusions either based on your conduct um, or, or other issues that you are, are not entitled to play uh, in this league. And since time immemorial, more often than, than not, uh, those decisions have been directed towards um, almost exclusively, um, without, you know, with, with mm-hmm. some exceptions, exclusively towards the player. Now, in the past, has the National Football League made decisions like that with respect to owners? Yes, um, the the DiBartolo situation in in the past um, is one example where they made decisions that, based on what had happened in the criminal justice system, that uh, an owner had to do X, Y, and Z. Um, the only thing I can say about that now is it, it does seem to me that um, fairness. And the equal applicability of those standards is what we should all be aspiring to. And living in a world where um, we we know that there was an owner who had run afoul of the criminal justice system um, and and was recently uh, disciplined by the commissioner, you know that that's an issue that we talked a lot about because we wanted to see if the same standards would apply to an owner who was arrested um, and, and ultimately convicted for, for, um, um, for misconduct. Um, we know that, that judges, for example, have written lengthy opinions about owners who were engaged in, in long-running um, fraudulent conduct. Mm-hmm. Those owners weren't punished. Um, We know that there have been owners who have been the subject of criminal investigations where virtually all of their subordinates were were convicted or have pled. That owner has not been punished. Um, We know that there was an instance of an owner where, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, a woman overdosed in a house that he owned. No one has said anything about that. Um, So to me, the the most... um, really uh, um, enlightening or, or inspiring moments is when facts themselves um, speak truth to power, if you know what I mean.
3: Facts are stubborn things. Facts uh,
5: are stubborn things.
3: D. Smith, hey, man, I, I get home safely. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us on Edge of Sportsbook.
5: All right, my friend. Best to your family.
3: You too. That was DeMora Smith with some, some serious straight talk there. And uh, wow. Uh, we got to go to break right now. We'll be back after this to wrap up the show.
2: Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin will return after this. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin.
3: Boom, We're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Always like ending the show on a note that's a little more happy, in, in terms of what's going on in the well, world, covering Pharrell there. Eh? Uh, was that was that Pharrell? I was Pharrell? Oh man, I had no idea. <laughs> I really? did no. Let me ask you something. All right, so there's a game tonight <laughs> between Washington and the Giants. We've been slamming the National Football League. This is a this is actually an interesting game though. Both teams are one and two. Both teams have shown a little bit of promise, a yeah. little bit of friskiness, but also. They look mediocre. Uh, the team that goes two and two is probably still has a season. The team that goes one and three probably doesn't. So, Mark, who you like tonight?
4: I think it's Washington. I, I think that Kirk Cousins in the offense has a little bit more pop to it. I like Rashad Jennings for the Giants, but I think that the one thing that Washington does well defensively is stop the run. Mm. So, I which think...
3: is insane, by the way, because they were terrible at it last year. They yep. didn't switch defensive coordinators. I mean, is Jason Hatcher that good? I, I don't maybe. know. And I'm not even know.
4: sure what if he's playing Their pass defense is just that bad now. Exactly. Yeah, maybe it it's just that. Yeah. What about you, Coach? Yeah, the
1: pass defense is like 30, 35th in a 32-team league. <laughs> and they lost to Angela Hall. Yep. <laughs> and, and Hall's out. And Merriweather, he couldn't check Dave's iron. <laughs> Are you kidding like, me? But he, yeah. but
4: he hit him late. Like a <laughs> yeah, he hit him yeah, I know. He knocked me unconscious. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, I, good game. Probably the Redskins at home. Giants had to travel, although it was a bus ride. But... Um, did I say? Oh man! I'm, yeah, I, you did. I, yeah, the, the Washington <laughs> football team, which is, Phil Sims over there. It was surprising. Yeah, what's up, Phil Sims?
3: <laughs> Look, you're both
1: you're both wrong.
3: Oh, uh, I hope you're right. You're yeah, both I hope wrong. The Giants win. The Giants win. Kirk Cousins has a down game. Everybody's pining for RG three afterwards. <laughs> Give me a score. What's going to happen? What's the score? Uh, final score: uh, Giants thirty-one. Oh my. Uh, Washington thirteen. Really? There you go. Really? And the Giants are gonna run it and run it and run it some more. Watch that. They got a good really. second. Like LeSean no, McCoy. They stopped LeSean. please. Stop Amook no, America no, just no. pick off cousins. Bad yeah. watch I mean, this. Yeah. Just see what happens. Yeah. Hey, what about you, Tim? You got a call on this? Tim in the saddle?
4: I'm going with you. I think G Man big. G
3: Man big. Wow. Thank you. you see, and you know what? This dude, Tim, he's a smart dude. He yeah. is. He is, by a country mile, the smartest person in this room who's that not my daughter. So not I have, I, w- I want to be Tim when I grow up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We can all, We all dare to dream. Hey, for, for, for Tim Horsey in the saddle, for Kevin McNutt, for Mean Mark Barry, follow us at Edge of Sports. I'm Dave
2: Zirin. We are out of here. Peace! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com.